My name's Adam Corner. I am a, a researcher and a writer, um, and my, the main focus of my work is climate change communication, the psychology of communicating about climate change to people, engaging people in what it might mean for their lives. Um, and, and I work as a research associate in the School of Psychology at Cardiff University half the week, and then for the Climate Outreach and Information Network a small charity in Oxford that specialises in climate change communication um, for the rest of the week. Um, but I'm interested in, I guess, issues around um, consumption um, and sustainability more broadly. Um, and I guess that's that's what took me to, to the to the Neon Magazine piece. Uh, for people who haven't read your article, could you sort of sum up its uh, its key argument for us? I wrote this article as a response to advertisements that I'd come across and I think in particular I was listening to um, the radio one day and an advert for Copperberg Cider came on and it was basically lamenting the fact that you couldn't get plain old apple cider these days. Where have all those apple ciders gone? You used to be able to get a good old apple cider, didn't you? If there's anyone that's done the most to widen out the category of ciders into all sorts of fruity flavours is probably them um, but yet they're using the fact that they flooded the market with fruity ciders to reintroduce and then you find their press release which basically explains this as well to reintroduce the idea of what they call naked apple cider um, and I just I, I couldn't decide whether I was impressed with the, just, the, just the complete blatantness of it or just appalled by it um, I think probably a bit of both but mainly the latter um, and it just made me think there's this category of advert that wants to put its arm around your shoulder um, and to kind of sympathise with you or empathise with you against some kind of problem out there in the world, um, often a problem that has actually been caused by the previous activities of either that brand, that company or other brands just like them. And then to use that connection and that sense of personal identity to say, well, you know, why don't you buy this other product instead? Wink, wink, nudge, 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 nudge. So it's it's adverts that want to be your friend. And what that does is it just kind of um, completely takes the sting out of any sense of cynicism or, or, or any sense that maybe you don't trust these companies or um, anything as anything as kind of dissenting as just not buying things in the first place because they're, they're, they're siding with you against the big bad evil world that's out there. And using that, using that empathy to just try and get you to buy different stuff instead. And in it, you wrote that um, marketing systematically promotes and presents a specific cluster of values that undermine pro-social and pro-environmental attitudes and behaviour. But most of us, if we were asked if we felt we were influenced by advertising, would say no, no, no. Of course not. I'm far too clever to be to fall for that kind of nonsense. Why do we fall for it when we all believe that we're immune? That's exactly right. We do all think that we're immune from the power of advertising and we think it doesn't work on us. But I think it's so ubiquitous. It's Advertising is everywhere. We're constantly surrounded by and bombarded by messages. So I think it's not, it's not the simplistic sense of, oh, Tesco put up an advert about baked beans and then the next day I found myself with a desperate desire for baked beans. It's that it provides the background, the background the hum and the buzz that's just there accompanying everything that we do. Um, and when you actually break it down to the level of 
of, of kind of what values does it speak to? Um, it's actually quite a small cluster of values, um, things like materialism um, and not things like collective um, social decision making, concern for the environment, um, things that might maybe have kind of more pro-social outcomes attached to them. So there's this just this kind of kind of background buzz, I think, of, of, of messages and and ideas that tell us that the world is a certain way, that they kind of project a certain image of the world to each other, to all of us, so that even if we perhaps think we're not um, completely self-interested, we get we get the very strong message that everyone else is because why else would there be adverts for you know the glitziest watch or the snazziest car and I think it just kind of sets the tone for the for all the thinking that's done on top of it. Is it that we've become less discerning and less aware of it, or that marketing and advertising has become more sophisticated and more sort of uh, operate in ways that we don't even notice? Yeah, I would say it's the, the latter. I think I think marketing and advertising has moved into spaces. Um, you know, physical and and cultural and and sort of psychological spaces that it, it just didn't exist in before. And I guess if you if you think if you stop and think about it, that does make sense. That at the at the beginning of advertising, when the idea was just to tell people about the qualities um, of a product or whatever it might be, um, and to sort of associate it with a positive lifestyle. Um, there was a period of time where, where that just worked on its own terms, but gradually, as people became aware that that was what was happening, and maybe felt—I mean, sales, you know, salesmanship is as old as the hills. So it's, these are things that go back a long time. But, but as as we've become, I think, just as a society, more self-aware in all sorts of ways, you know, and we're able to hold up a mirror to ourselves all the time to record things and play it back to ourselves. It becomes more obvious when someone's making a pitch to you. Um, and I think then correspondingly, the pitches have had to become more opaque and more indirect in the way that they operate. Um, and I think you see it in all sorts of ways. And it could be it could be things like um, personalised adverts that try and stoke that idea that there's some sense of connection between you and the advert, like whether it's to do with um, word matching on, on, on internet adverts, they know what you're searching for and they promote you that way. Um, or it could be, um, which is a more of a relatively recent phenomenon, I think, um, the idea of, of, of adverts kind of trying to empathise with you against the big bad corporate advertising world out there and saying, yeah, we know we're your friend. Um, we understand that, that you're cynical about the world and you're cynical about advertising. We get that um, and, and, and we want to share that with you that we, that we get that. But at the same time, we're selling this thing that operates outside of those terms of reference. So maybe you'd like to buy it in safe in the knowledge that you can be cynical and buying our product at the same time. Has marketing and advertising become so skilled and so kind of rich in its understanding of our psychology and its and its understanding of how we tick that we are really now powerless in the face of it? Or are there ways in which we can kind of reclaim our mental environment? I think it's difficult to do it unless you physically opt yourself out of those environments, which you can't always do. So, you know, if you don't, you might you might not have a TV and then you may not see TV adverts, but it's difficult to avoid them on the Internet. Um, even if you were able to avoid them in your personal space where you've got a certain element of control. 
over that environment, they're, they're everywhere else as well. So they're in lots of public spaces or on the underground in London or, you know, plastered over, over buildings. And there, there have been campaigns to try and, um, get rid of or, or just create um, areas that are advertising free in, in public spaces. I mean, not, it never, it would never happen kind of sort of, doesn't feel like it, there would be the support for that happening citywide or anything like that at the moment. But, but there have been attempts to, to try and carve out little areas of towns or cities where um, advertising isn't allowed. And I think it's easy to sort of sneer at those kinds of ideas as being a bit of a drop in the ocean um, because why bother if then when you walk 50 yards down the road, you're back into Adland again. But I, it's quite difficult to think of any other ways that you can actually get away from, from advertising now that it has become, now, because it's just, I think it's just such a shape-shifting concept advertising it wants to sell you things so it will tell you whatever you want to hear and if what you want to hear is that you're not like everyone else you're not this kind of uh, robot that responds to marketing messages you're way more savvy than that you really get the world then that can be used as a as a as a hook to to sell you other things with your other uh, day job hat of working for coin do you look at the advertising and marketing profession as holding some of the keys to how we can actually uh, start to turn climate change around or are they just the devil incarnate in everything that they do i i, I think those those words are, are appropriate because i think there is there is a sense that if you adopt the devil's methods to try and do um work that you think would be really socially beneficial there's going to be a risk that actually you are you are you are biking up the wrong tree that you're going in the wrong direction. I've written um, a, a bit before about the sort of perils of using what's called social marketing um, to to engage people on issues like climate change. So there's been a big push over the last ooh, I don't know a good few decades now in in around around health promoting health positive health behaviours. So things like you know stopping smoking obesity, anti-obesity campaigns. And health professionals have looked towards marketing and the tools and the techniques and the strategies of marketing to say, okay, we need to divide up our audience. We need to um, figure out what, the, what buttons we can press to get through to them. And then we need to tailor our messages to tell them what they want to hear. And that's how we'll get them stopping smoking. Um, and there is, you know, to be, to be sure, there is evidence, good evidence that, that it does work. Social marketing does work on kind of limited, small, specific behaviours. But when you apply it to something like climate change, where the challenge isn't just a sort of set of separate, discrete, small behaviours that we can, that people can be nudged into, into doing differently, when you've really got to engage with the underlying rationale and principle of, of what climate change means, or you know, for even for more broadly sustainability means, it it's not it doesn't seem it doesn't seem right that you can kind of sell the idea of climate change to people in the same way that you could sell soap or dog food. It's just not that kind of issue. Um, and I think that there there has been there has definitely been a tendency among governments, among some of the bigger NGOs to reach for marketing people and advertisers to ask them for help with, with talking to people about climate change. Um, I think it's it's wrong-headed um, 
because the principles of selling physical stuff are not the same as the principles of engaging people um, more deeply in, in, in just the sort of act of thinking about um, the challenge of, of, of climate change. It's just not the same thing. It used to be uh, in the late 80s, early 90s that you could, there was the whole subvertising uh, thing of kind of changing the letters on cigarette adverts and car adverts and and sort of using the power of that advert to, to communicate the opposite message. Uh, is that, it seems like advertisers have kind of got wise to that, but if it can, as as more and more advertising becomes virtual and online and popping up in our emails and everything, can people still do that, or are we rather powerless now in the face of it? It does. I, I, yeah, I, th- I think it feels like those kinds of tools are not as relevant anymore. And obviously, there has been there have there have been you know quite 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 a lot of interest. There has been a lot of interest in vandalism and, and terms like that. Um, and you know, Adbusters magazine, um, people that have people that have not only not only tried to sort of poke fun at advertising and sort of expose it for, for what it is by 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 putting it in a different context, but have also you know gone quite heavily into sort of the the, the, the politics of well you know the, the capitalist system that, that drives that, that that is such a driver and engine for. But I think now now that there are so many channels. Um, and avenues for adverts to pretend to, to basically to pretend not to be adverts. I mean, one 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 that's not it's not new now, but I still find just it just really I find it really frustrating and irritating. You'll be looking for a magazine, um, and then there'll be an advert an advertorial that's all printed up in the same font and design as the magazine that you're reading, um, and it does say in tiny letters at the bottom for legal reasons this is an advert. Um, it's not. It's not news content, um, but I think at the point where where we've accepted, it's not just that advertising is then something to kind of put as something to something to put as like the edging on on our culture um, or the content that we actually want to read. We've fully accepted that it will just become one and the same as as the thing that we want to engage with the magazine, the content, the writing. It's just there's really no way of distinguishing between those two things, and perhaps perhaps all that's happening is it's just. That's become more obvious because I think newspapers have been, you know, um, heavily heavily run on the principles of of, of the advertisers that, that that support them for a long time, um, and in many ways don't say things that will strongly contradict um, the basic assumptions that allow, um, you know, Ryanair or whatever it is to advertise next to a piece about recycling in the newspaper. Um, maybe it's always been that hypocritical. It's just that now you can. You can really kind of see it for what it is because they've merged completely. They're just this single entity. So marketers now have access to, uh, if you have a Tesco club card, to everything you've ever bought in that shop. That all of the, you know, Google knows everywhere everything you look at. I mean, how how much more powerful is advertising than it? Or how much more access does advertising have into our psyche than than, than before? Yeah. I I I really I don't I really don't know the answer to that question because I suppose it feels like it's more ubiquitous and it's everywhere and so there's no escape. But then on the other hand, it's it's maybe it's only filling our cultural channels in a way that it was always filling our cultural channels. It's just that now our cultural channels are so much more diverse that there's many more opportunities to find that. But you also find more of everything, I suppose. But I think the point about about 
club cards and data um, and being able to link up and personalize and, and for, for, for businesses to be able to understand that, that really personal level, what people are buying and doing and, and make recommendations on that basis. That's, that's, that's really one of the, one of the, one of the um, structural things that's changed, I think, that allows this kind of really disingenuous advertising to take place. Um, because under the guise of, under the guise of trying to sort of be your friend and help you, they just want to help you make the right consumer choices. Like I switched on my computer this morning and, um, Spotify told me what music I might want to listen to today. And I always, I always think, oh, thanks Spotify. I don't know how I would have possibly made my decision about what to listen to on my headphones without you. Um, but that kind of stuff's everywhere. And it's, I, I mean, I've got no idea what the figures are on something like Amazon's um, recommend. You know, people that bought this also bought dot, dot, dot. Um, I, 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 I don't know how effective those things are, but I imagine they're incredibly effective. So you're just, you're just joining the dots and steering people into, well, just effectively kind of consuming more, consuming additionally. So Kevin Anderson and Alice Bowes wrote recently wrote a, from Tyndall Centre wrote that paper recently arguing that we if we're going to stay below two degrees that means ten percent cuts in emissions and that that basically means economic growth is finished. Is there any hope of advertise of, of achieving that in a world of advertising and marketing in the way that you've that you've set out? Do we have any hope if if is 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 bringing climate change under control only possible if we can dismantle the advertising industry? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I would think so. In the same way that that you could kind of insert other terms where advertising industry is in that sentence, because it isn't possible. Like when we talk about how how are we going to tackle climate change, and obviously Kevin and Alice um, are very much you know they're, they're, they're scientists and they they are they are able to put figures on these things and to calculate carbon budgets and to work backwards from there to say how much economic activity we'd need to knock out or replace with zero carbon economic activity, which isn't kind of conceptually possible in order to hit those targets. But I, I look at it as from more of a social science perspective. And I think whenever we talk about how to tackle climate change, it, it's not about climate change per se. It's about all of the ways that we think about the future and how we want society to be. I mean, you could, there, there would be some extreme advocates that would say, you know, the only way to, to, to deal with climate changes would be to, to um, get rid of democracy and to, you know, take a series of dictatorial decisions that would keep us within those carbon budgets. You know, my sense on that would be what kind of world we would have created for that sacrifice wouldn't, wouldn't really be worth it. But um, I think, yes, the advertising industry has to be brought under control, as do lots of other types of of industries but it's it's linked there's a kind of circularity that is to do with our aspirations and and sense of of where we think personally culturally you know as a society we are going and advertising i think doesn't i don't think it does just hold up a mirror i think it i think it it steers us in a very particular direction i mean you can imagine if we were surrounded by imagine if we were surrounded by 50 percent buy more stuff messages and 50 percent kind of um, civic community um, responsibility messages. I mean, messages is a bit of a dead end anyway because you don't want to be writing things on walls, you want to be talking to people. But yeah, I think, I think for, as lo- as, for as long as the advertising industry, and I think, I, I think I 
I guess I, I don't believe that it can just be overhauled for the good as long as it's there telling people that what they need to do and what they want to do and what other people who they look up to crucially are doing and are living like and as long as they're, they're projecting a world to people that is all about very unsustainable high carbon living it's difficult to see it's difficult to see how that would be congruent with with kind of tackling climate change i mean there was there was a, there's another kind of side issues this as well which i was thinking about the other day on a lot of local or a lot of commercial radio stations but i think especially local ones um it feels like a huge amount of the advertising is focused on the idea that most people don't like their jobs and not very happy in their jobs they're doing it just to get the money to get through to the end of the week everyone's in tough times which clearly lots and lots of people are and it's a real issue but that everyone can't wait until friday to clock off from their jobs um and by the way this holiday here or this new product should you know should alleviate that and make you feel better and it just seems to me the most cynical response to you know the the, the terrible impacts of, of austerity and a, and a really inequitable society is that then then underneath all of that advertising pops back up tries to put its arm around your shoulder and say we know you hate your job we don't we know you don't want to do what you've been doing you know you haven't you don't earn enough money and then to try and to try and whisk that away with the selling of you know the promote the promoting of of a, of a kind of set of products that's never you're never going to quite get to the end of that of that um chain you're never going to quite have the set of products that you feel completely happy with so it's it's actively stoking that sense of dissatisfaction at the same time as trying to trying to offer a, a false solution to it and i just think it's a bit it's very cynical really some cities i think paris they've introduced restrictions on advertising recently uh, you know, or the size of adverts, or something. Um, if we, if in in the uh, in the event that some enlightened leadership decided to ban advertising on television and in public places, and so on, would we lose anything? I think we'd probably gain a bit of mental space. I mean, I think the place to start, which other lots of people have said before, would, would be with the idea of of advertising to children which I think is especially morally kind of questionable. And I think, I think that's the, the, the difficulty is, is if you try and if you start from the idea of could we get rid of advertising, it just feels like such, a, such an enormous, unachievable goal. But if you were to ask, could you start to chip away um, maybe region by region at, at region-specific issues as well, not some blanket um, kind of law of the land that says that what happens in Bristol should be what happens in um, Manchester and that should be what happens in Totnes because I think there are different issues facing people in every locality but I think starting with the idea of, of how I think most most parents you know if they if they if they if they're not if they were maybe not um, inclined to see advertising as detrimental to themselves I think and a third party perspective most people would um, quite quickly agree that it might be nicer if kids weren't being constantly um, having their arms twisted to, to buy X, Y, and Z. Um, I mean, if for no other reason, then it ends up being the parents that have to go and buy the stuff anyway. But even just even just in the kind of cultural sense, I think most people would see that that's not ideal. Um, but that it just there isn't really much of a debate about it. Um, so I think I think initiatives that could push that into the, the realm of, of public debate and just to let I don't think it would be controversial you know I don't think it's a very it's one of those things where if it would only be talked about I don't think it would be all that radical but that it just isn't really talked about and it, you know like like all things that are 
very ubiquitous. They, it just drifts along in the background all the time, being being very nice and invisible. Can you be a hundred percent sure that the, the the purchases that you've bought for your loved ones this Christmas, that those choices have been made entirely uninfluenced by the power of advertising? <laughs> no, I think I think you can almost definitely be sure that they have been influenced by the power of advertising somehow. You know, unless I mean. I, I mean, everyone markets and advertises as well. So even if even if we were all to buy each other ethically sourced um, items and products, I think I think you know they've they've often they've often been they've often been promoted through exactly the same routes in the same way that a lot of a lot of green NGOs are very keen to work with um, consultants um, to advise on their communication strategies who spend a lot of time working in the corporate world you know there is an interesting question about how 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 possible it is to 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 kind of do ethical consumerism if that isn't a kind of a bit of an oxymoron how possible it is to do it um through the roots and the methods and the cultural channels that non-ethical um consumerism happens and i think that is just exemplified in the fact that as soon as you know the most uh, really well-intentioned kind of development happens someone tries to step away um, or step towards a more progressive um, set of principles um, that might under you know that might that might allow them to make a more ethical choice in their food or whatever it would be um, as soon as that happens you know for sure that the the, the bigger corporate entities are going to be looking at that and thinking we could distill the essence of that spirit um, and use it to sell our stuff too so bit of a bit of a cynical end but I think it's a bit of a cynical topic.